Well, the scope of sin. Every human being is born in sin, remains in sin. We remain in sin even after we're saved in terms of being sinners who sin. The difference is that we have been forgiven of our sin by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And we know that we're sinners and we feel, we feel the weight of our sin. We are born in sin, remain that way until the Holy Spirit visits us to convict us of our sin. Left to ourselves, we would always compare ourselves to other people. And we would always conclude that compared to so-and-so, we're better than they are. But the standard for comparison is not other people. Not even other people who are brothers and sisters in the church. The standard for comparison is the perfection in God's law that's found in God's Son. So when we want to know if we are sinful and how sinful we are, we look to the law of God and we look to the perfect person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think it's easy to conclude that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8. This is, again, I'm just giving you examples that help us see the scope of sin. Beginning in verse 46 of 1 Kings chapter 8. This is in the midst of the dedication of the temple, Solomon's prayer of dedication. And in that prayer, listen to what he prays. He's talking about the people that God has called to be his people. And he says in verse 46, if they sin against you, that is God, if they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin. And you are angry with them and you give them to an enemy so that they're carried away captive to the land of the enemy far off or near. Yet if they turn their heart in the land to which they have been carried captive, and if they repent, and if they plead with you in the land of their captors, saying, we have sinned and have acted perversely and wickedly, if they repent with all their mind and with all their heart in the land of their enemies who carried them captive, and if they pray to you toward their land which you gave to their fathers, the city which you have chosen, and the house that I have built for your name, then hear in heaven your dwelling place their prayer and their plea and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you and all their transgressions that they have committed against you and grant them compassion in the sight of those who carried them captive that they may have compassion on them for they are your people and they are your heritage which you brought out of Egypt from the midst of the iron furnace. God is serious about sin, and uh, sin has its effect that spreads from one person to another person and infects an entire community. 
Now turn to Psalm 51, the psalm that we, we all know so well. When David is praying after being confronted by Nathan the prophet in relationship to his sin against God that expressed itself in his adultery with Bathsheba and his murder of Uriah. David prays, I have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Now listen to this. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. I was a sinner from birth, but before that. And in sin did my mother conceive me. The writer of Proverbs 22:15, if you want to turn there, Psalms, I mean Proverbs 22 verse 15 makes it clear that children are not only conceived but born in sin and sin is natural to all children. Proverbs 22:15. Folly are Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. But the rod of discipline drives it far from him. We parent biblically by teaching our children who they are and where what that results in. Sinners sin and we use appropriate measures in discipline uh, to teach them the consequences of sin. Sin must be punished. Sin requires that it be addressed as sin. So uh, to be born in Adam is to be born in sin. What this means is that from birth, everything inside of us is bent toward ourselves. It is unnatural for us to want to serve others, to want to care for others, to want to reach out to others. What is natural is we want to do for ourselves because from birth, the person that we love more than we love anyone else is ourselves. Now, the truth is that sin, a sin covers the entire world. The world and everything in it is under the darkness of sin. We sing the song, don't we? The whole world was lost in the darkness of sin. The light of the world is Jesus. That's the scope of sin. And it's manifest in creation. Turn to, to Romans. Romans chapter 8. Listen to these words in Romans chapter 8. Beginning in verse number 18. Paul writes, I consider that the sufferings of this present time, 
are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revelation of the sons of God. For the creation, that is the created order, the land, the waters, the sky, the sea. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know, the word know here means we're confident, we are sure about this, that the whole creation, the whole earth across the universe, the whole earth across the vast landscape of the earth, the whole earth, has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan, in, eager, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now Paul says, the whole earth is under the darkness of sin, the dominion of sin. And the earth itself that God made for his glory is groaning, looking for that day of redemption when it will be set free from the bondage of decay that is the result of sin. That is why Revelation chapter 21 verse 1 is so beautiful and powerful. John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And creation groans because of sin. And the sin is the result of who inhabits the created order. Who is that? It's us. And rather than stewarding the earth as God called us to steward the earth, we often exploit it if that exploitation will advance our cause. Sin has an impact on the environment. Sinful human beings exploit the earth for their gain. And the earth groans because the earth is God's earth. It's created by him and it's to be treated in a way that would honor him. Sin has an impact on the economy. Now, sinful humans use the economy for their gain, for their good. You know, the, the French philosopher and economist Alexander de Tocqueville, when he visited America in the 19th century to discover something about the genius of this country. Why is this country such a wonderful place? What goes on here? And his conclusion was that what goes on in America that makes it great is the combination of individual initiative with care for each other. And de Tocqueville argued in his book that, that if you could get it, you ought to read, called Democracy in America, 
The Tocqueville argued it, it argued that if we ever lose the balance of those two things, our economy works because of individual initiative. But our economy will collapse if individual initiative comes to the place that individuals exploit the world for their own gain and don't operate with care and concern for each other. That this balance is delicate and that we must work hard to maintain this balance so that the spirit of the entrepreneur is a wonderful spirit and we need to cultivate that spirit in business and industry, but it must not be cultivated to the extent that other people are exploited so that the entrepreneur who runs the business can gain at their expense. And what he saw in America was that there was this wonderful balance. And where was it found most? Among Christian people. Where we exercise this individual initiative, but we did so in a context where we cared for one another. Sin has an impact on education. There are those that are part of the educational system that want to promote their own agendas through what they teach in school. Now, they're not teaching for the benefit of students or the furtherance of the development of a good society, but simply want to push their own agenda. Sin, sin is expansive in its effects. And you don't address the problem of sin in the economy, in education, in the family, in the community, in businesses, you don't address it by changing the structures by which the economy operates, by which education operates, by which businesses operate. There's only, there's only one solution to sin. And we're going to talk about that solution. And that solution is found, of course, we know, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Radical depravity, which is what I've been teaching, I believe the Bible teaches, that we're born in sin, we're born under the control of sin, and everything about us, our mind, our heart, our spirit, our actions, our thoughts, everything is affected by sin. Radical depravity is the foundation for total inability, which simply means that you and I, from birth, do not have the moral ability to choose the right course because we are turned in upon ourselves. Because of radical depravity, without God's intervention into our lives, we will go in our own way to satisfy our own desires. Now, that doesn't keep us from being good people. It doesn't keep us from doing good deeds. It doesn't keep us from being involved in our community. It doesn't keep us from helping friends and neighbors all of these are evidences that we're made in the image of God and that God has extended to everyone in the universe his common grace. He cares for everyone. He loves everyone. And there are lots of people 
who spend their entire lives, particularly their adult lives, doing good deeds, doing community service, helping friends and neighbors who are not believers. And they do what they do because they're made in the image of God and they have been recipients of the common grace of God. But so much of what they do is because it helps them feel better about themselves and it helps them feel like they're making some kind of worthy contribution to the community or to the neighborhood. The solution to sin is not inside of us. It sounds so trivial and mundane to say that none of us in this room could ever do enough good deeds or kind acts to get us into a right relationship with God. But it's true. Because the solution to sin is beyond us and it's outside of us. Thomas Boston was one of the great Puritans. Thomas Boston, Boston wrote a marvelous book called the fourfold, the fourfold State of Man, The Fourfold State of Humans. And these are the states of humans, the state of innocence. There's only been one or two innocent people born in the universe. The first was the first Adam and the second was the second Adam. Every other human being has been born in sin. Look at that little baby. Look at our newest grandbaby. I have pictures. I'll be glad to show you. And you can say that is so innocent. That is not innocent. If the Bible's true, that is an individual conceived in sin and born as a sinner. The state of innocent belongs to Adam in the garden and the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. All others are born in the second state, the state of sin, and all humans remain in the state of sin except those who are recipients of the greatness of the grace of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. God comes to us and as he comes to us in the power of his Holy Spirit, he convicts us of our sin and he begins the work of changing us. How do I know I'm a Christian? Because God is at work in my life changing me. I cannot change myself. I simply respond to the work of God through the gospel in his compelling me to grow in the grace of God. As a believer, we are living in the state of grace. God has saved us by his grace and he is growing us by his grace. So that means for every one of us in this room who are sinners who sin, we should be able to look back upon our lives right where we're sitting tonight. We should be able to look back upon our lives and, and say, this is where the grace of God intercepted my life and began to change my life. And from that point to now, I can see, I can see evidences of change. Now, you might not see gargantuan change. 
You may not see radical change, but you can see evidences of growth and change in your life because God is at work in your life. Without that, you have nothing to stand on that would indicate that you even know him. The state of grace is real and the state of grace is active and it's energetic and it's alive and it's working in our hearts and lives and it leads at last to the state of glory one day when we will be with him and we will be perfected as one of his children where we will live with him forever and ever. The solution to sin God has made very simple and very straightforward. It's in Jesus and in Jesus alone. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, remember what he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away John 1.29 takes away the, and the next word is singular. It's not plural. Takes away the sin of the world. Now there, that means, John the Baptist pointed to Jesus and said, this is the one, this is the only one who takes away the sin of the world. What that means is, Jesus is the only one, and that what we all share in common in this room is that we're born into the sin of the world, and everybody in the world is born into the same sin. What is it? What is the sin that holds us all together from birth until the gospel penetrates our hearts? And we see. We see. What is that sin? It's unbelief. It's unbelief. It's the failure to see Jesus for who he really is. That is why, by the way, that is why one of Satan's great delights is to get professing Christian people to tweak and to alter the gospel so that the gospel becomes less than the gospel. So you have churches teaching. Well, what does it mean to be a Christian? Just believe. Just believe. Well, believe what? Well, just be sincere. Believe sincerely. Believe what sincerely? Believe God sincerely. Well, who is God? Well, God is the one whom we know in Jesus, so you've got to believe God and you've got to believe Jesus too. You've yet to share the gospel. You've tweaked it, changed it. You want to know God? Just believe God. Just believe Jesus. Just give yourself to him. Just accept him. No, no, no. Unbelief is 
that we're born with an orientation away from God, and unless God comes to us and intervenes in our lives, we will keep walking away from Him. We're born in rebellion against God. We're born in hostility toward God. There's one person from birth we love more than anyone else in the universe. Who is that? It's me. We want a God that we can define on our own terms with whom we can be comfortable. We want a God that we can believe has saved us, but he has really not changed us and is not changing us. But we're absolutely confident that when we die, we're going to heaven. That's not God. That is a God. That's an idol. But the God of the universe who made the universe and rules over the universe has made himself known in Jesus. And when he makes Jesus known to us through the power of his Holy Spirit, he opens our eyes so we see clearly and our ears so we hear clearly and our minds so that we believe rightly and our lives so that they are transformed and increasingly transformed by Jesus. Turn to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews. Chapter 9. I want to begin reading in verse 26. It begins this way, then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundations of the world. But as it is, he, that is Jesus, has appeared once for all time. The word all here is temporal. He's appeared, he's come from heaven to earth once for all time. The work that he did, that he came to do, is exclusive. Only he could do this work. He appeared once for all at the end of the ages. We're going to see that God unfolded his plan to save his people through a series of covenants. And the ultimate covenant, the final covenant, is the new covenant that God makes with his people in and through Jesus. So he appeared once for all time at the end of the ages. And what that means is that when Jesus came and Jesus did what Jesus did, there is no other way for a person to know God except through Jesus. He is the last revelation of God. He is the full revelation of God. He is all we need and he is all we will get. He appeared once for all at the end of the age to put away sin. 
to put away sin. Singular. He removes the blindness of unbelief. He shows us the truth that he is the only one. That he is the way, that he is the truth, that he is the life. That no one comes to the Father except through him. We will never see that until he opens our eyes. But praise God, he opens our eyes so that we can see it. To put away sin through, here's the fourth thing in this text. There are seven things here. Through the sacrifice of himself. Uh, the, the, the book of Hebrews teaches us that there is no forgiveness of sin aside from the shedding of blood. Something or someone has to die and it has to be a bloody sacrifice. The ultimate sacrifice, the only satisfactory sacrifice is Jesus. And he offered himself. He offered himself to God in behalf of to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Fifthly, he died one time. And we die one time. Just as it is appointed for man to die at the end of verse 27. And after that comes the judgment. We die, we face judgment. Number, number six. Christ, in verse 28, Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many. He died to bear the sins of his people. He brought upon himself our sins, died in our place. He will appear a second time not to deal with sin because that's over, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Turn to Isaiah. Isaiah 53. Isaiah clearly writing about Jesus. 700 years before Jesus showed up. Listen to what Isaiah writes. I'll never get over Isaiah 53. I hope I never do. Isaiah 53, verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of the dry ground. 
He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. This is his life. He was living the life on earth that we cannot live. He is fulfilling the requirements of God to obey fully and perfectly his law. And he is representing us. He's the final Adam. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the ESV says chastisement, that is much too mild. Upon him was the punishment that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. This is the description of our sinfulness. Look at it. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone. We've turned where? What does it say? To his own way. This is what sinners do. This is how sinners live. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its share is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. They made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. And then verse 10, this should cause us to stutter. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush it. Why? That's how sinful we are from birth. Turned into ourselves. This is how holy God is. And the only way, the only way you and I would ever have hope is that God would punish his own son by placing on him our sins. That's why we believe in what is called penal God punished his own son who was the substitute for us. Atonement. He offered the sacrifice to God that takes away our sin 
and enables us to believe. Joel Beakey says, there's nothing that reveals more about a person than how that person relates to his sin. So what happens What happens when a sinner biblically is saved from his or her sin? What happens? How does God go about biblically saving a sinner from his or her sin? And the first thing God does is through his word, he he gives the sinner clarity about his standard. God has standards of perfection. No sinner will be genuinely saved until they know this standard and see it. And it's the law of God. It's the perfection that God requires that he has put in his law. God opens our eyes to see that. And we see clearly that we cannot meet that standard. If this is what it takes, I will be forever lost, doomed, and damned. But in God's goodness, he begins to bring us under conviction of our sin, seeing that we cannot meet the standard. We begin to hear the truth of the gospel. Jesus came to meet the standard for you. Jesus came to live the life that you cannot live. Jesus came to do that for you because he loves you and cares for you. And if you will repent, and turn to Jesus. Because this Jesus who came to live the life you cannot live at the end of his life was the only acceptable human sacrifice being offered to God that would ever live. And he offered himself to God on the cross, taking your place and my place, offering himself up to God, shedding his blood as an offering to God to turn away God's wrath from us that we deserve and to satisfy God's holy justice. And on that cross, he took our place so that in our place, God took our sins and placed it on him so that we could be saved. Rescued, redeemed by Jesus. God shows us that. And we come to Jesus. We come to Jesus. We, we come to him. We come to him compelling. We come to him. We can't help ourselves. We are moved deeply, emotionally, Mentally, physically, we cry out. We cry out for his mercy. We receive his grace. And we commit our lives because of God showing us what we need to see. We commit our lives to Jesus as Lord and we do it through baptism and 
church membership. There are no individualized, privatized Christians. When God really saves you, there is a compulsion to be baptized and a compulsion to become a member of the church. To be delivered from our sin. Sin is real. And how we see our sin, how we see original sin, how we see radical depravity, how we see our moral ability to make choices determines how we see much of the rest of the Bible. We must not make any mistakes at the point of who we are as sinners. There are well-meaning but wrongly directed people who profess to be Christians, who believe that we are born in innocence, and there is no sin in us until we choose to sin. They believe that we are basically good from birth and that from birth we have the moral ability to choose our course. We're absolutely free and our wills are untainted by sin. There are others, good people, professing Christians who believe we're born neutral. We're all born just like the first Adam in the garden. We're neutral. Our depravity is real, but it doesn't affect our mind. It doesn't affect our heart. And it doesn't affect our will. That we're able, given the right information at the right time in the right environment, to make the right decisions. There are those who believe that we are conceived in sin and born in sin. We may not like that, but we know that's what the Bible teaches. So we're thoroughly sinful. And until God reaches into our hearts by his spirit and brings us from spiritual death to life, we will not see. How does that work itself out finally? How does that work itself out in various expressions of the church? We're born innocent and choose to sin, so we're all basically good. You see that in the Episcopal Church and the Anglican Church, same church, different countries. When a baby is baptized in the Episcopal Church, for the Episcopal Church, that baby is saved. Completely saved from that moment on. For those that believe that we're born neutral and depravity has basically been removed, then what we need then is to have the right information in the right environment with the right educational tools to make the right decisions. That's what Methodists believe and practice. It's what Roman Catholics believe and practice. It's what liberal Presbyterians believe and practice. You ready for this? 
It's what most modern Southern Baptist churches practice. But for those who believe we were conceived in sin and born in sin, we believe that unless God works in our hearts to change us, we will remain in sin. But when God changes us, it is evident in our lives through that change. Conservative Presbyterians believe that. So did all Baptists, all Baptists, until the early 20th century. One of the reasons many in the modern Baptist church, Southern Baptist expression, have lost our way because we have lost almost entirely what the Bible teaches about who we are as sinners. Well, we're going to shift next week and we're going to move from talking about sin to talking about the Savior. You can't talk about Jesus until you know who God is and who we are as sinners, and we're going to make that shift next week. Father, we thank you for, for your help. We thank you for your presence here. And we thank you, Lord, that you love sinners, that you died for sinners, that you were raised for sinners, that you rule over your church and your church is made up of sinners. And what makes us different is not that we're not sinners, but that we know we are and that we hate it but we also know that we've been forgiven of our sins and we love you for your grace and mercy to us. We will this week, Lord, we know by your grace we will encounter, we will encounter people who need the good news of the gospel more than they need food or drink or anything else. God, would you help us, please help us to get out of our comfort zones and out of the normal routine of our lives and just take 10 minutes this week with somebody somewhere to tell them how much Jesus loves them and what he did for them to take away their sin. And we pray. In his name, amen.